Welcome to another edition of Flex Coaches Inside the Game. Our guest today is a man who has had a career in the entertainment and sports world. His dad was also involved in the NHL as a player and an executive. This summer, his concept, Three Ice, will be hitting the ice in a nine-city tour in North America. We welcome EJ Johnston. Thanks, Chris. Growing up, let's get to your dad here. Um, I find it very fascinating. Um, your dad was the general manager of the Bruins and the Penguins. Did you know what your dad did when you were growing up as a kid? You know, I probably was around seven or eight when I first discovered what he was, and I knew he was different from other dads. Um, you know, the, the normal jobs that the, the normal dads had, and then they kind of would get around my dad and act differently. Um, my dad wouldn't act the way they would around him. Um, so I knew there was something different. Uh, you know, as a kid, you, you could sort of just get a sense of it. And then going down to uh, the arenas and watching practice and being around the players, it was normal for me. Um, but I could tell that other people thought it was a big deal. So you kind of get a sense of that. So right around seven or eight, I think I became aware of it. And um, it was a treat to, to grow up like that. Really just being around those kinds of guys in that way was a lot of fun. What type of players were you around? What type of guys? These are high achievers. These are not your, your typical guys. I mean, I always say, as you move up in sports and anything, the pyramid shrinks dramatically. And this really shrinks when you get to the NHL level. I mean, what type of people were they? Yeah, I mean, I remember being around Randy Carlisle, Norris Trophy winner. Um, and these guys, one, they were very affable, very likable, but uh, dedicated. Um, you could see their their desire to be excellent at something. Um, Rick Kehoe back then, you know, Mike Bullard, and then getting around guys like Mario or watching Yager, you know, again, he would, he would stay on, on the ice after practice and shoot puck after puck off the far post, a whole bucket of pucks. Like it was obvious that Yammer Yager woke up every day thinking, how can I get better at hockey? Like that was his mission and that was his purpose. So to see those kinds of people, singular purpose, totally driven, working on their craft, um, it was impressive and it made an impression on, on me. I like to think that that rubbed off on me. And um, it was a special way to grow up being around winners like that all the time. Um, you know, you are you are the, the environment, you are the company you keep, you know, the on the opposite side of the equation, you know, you lie with dogs, you get fleas. Well, you hang out with winners and hopefully you learn how to win. And it was a, it was a treat to grow up like that. What did you take away from that as a young kid? You know, most kids don't experience that, but what did you able to, what were you were able to take away and apply to your life as you were growing up? You know, my dad had a job where he was only one of six people on the planet. He was an NHL goalie with six teams. And it was just kind of matter of fact that he could do that. And so for me, the biggest takeaway that I got from my dad being either one of six or one of 20 coaches or one of 30 GMs um, was that it's possible. And if you point yourself at it and if you dedicate yourself and if you get sharp enough in your skills um, you can do at the highest level, whatever you want. And I think I've taken that through my career, whether it was working at IMG and being the guy uh, on the planet for, for fashion or going out to Hollywood and making, uh, you know, big shiny floor, $20 million television production shows. I felt that was within my, my capabilities. I never really doubted myself. I, if I sacrificed, got skilled, knew the rules of the game and pointed myself at something and worked hard enough, it was possible. And that was kind of just matter of fact. I'm certainly my father's son in that regard. As you got older, did you talk to some of these guys and, and say, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you handle this kind of pressure? Did they kind of give you any advice when you were growing up? You ever talk you, to guys about that or not really? Or just you were in awe when your friends would come with you. To, you know, this is my dad's job. He, he's, you know, he's with the Penguins and we'd go to a lot 
locker yeah. room, going to meet all these guys. I mean, was it more of like an awe thing for you when you were growing up? Mostly awe, mostly the latter. But as I got older, um, in my 20s and 30s, and you start to get around guys like Randy Hillier, who's a really good businessman uh, here in the Pittsburgh community, uh, and you talk to Mario sometimes in some different ways, or Brian Trottier, uh, these guys that were on his coaching staff or on his uh, play for him. And as I became more mature and had the, the, um, the ability to sort of ask better questions rather than just being a fan or just being a young kid. Um, yeah, you start to get insights about managing personalities and managing locker rooms. And you can start to see things that translate from business, from sports to business quite nicely. Managing a team, uh, that's the same wherever you go. You know, I, I've, I've got a team now that I manage and it's like a locker room. Um, and that was really something that I took away uh, from those kinds of conversations. Um, the hockey guys really get personality. They don't necessarily have to talk X's and O's because that doesn't translate. But managing teams, managing personalities, that, that's the best. Um, if you're at sports at the highest level, there's nothing like that. They get that and they are masters at that kind of stuff, which matters inside the office. Um, so that was a, a big takeaway for me. And it was a treat to be able to access those kinds of brains. Now, when you're growing up in Boston, you're growing up in Pittsburgh, and you're playing hockey, I assume. Did your dad keep it fun for you? Did he, did he didn't put pressure on you? Did he say, hey, you know, just go out and have a good time with your friends? You know, yeah, it was exactly that. Were, you know, parents, other parents are overbearing. And I, I was wondering if your dad was kind of like, you ever go to your dad for advice on playing or any kind of questions in that regard? He was the opposite of overbearing. He was, you know, laissez-faire, 100%. He, um, you know, for us, we connected on a lot of different things. We went fishing together. We played golf together. So it wasn't really important that we connected over hockey. I started playing around seven or eight um, in Chicago uh, when he was coaching the Blackhawks. There was no program within a, a reasonable driving distance. My mother stuck me in speed skating. Uh, I hated it. I was so bad. I was so slow. I think I get lapped. Uh, it was embarrassing, actually. Uh, and I can remember being like six or seven and just hating it because I was so bad at it. But um, got into hockey at seven or eight. I remember asking my dad, hey, maybe you should coach. And he thought, you know, that is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. Not in a million years would he ever coach one of my teams. Um, but he was completely, you know, laissez-faire. He wouldn't really ever talk about what we did. I, I remember one conversation saying, you know, dad, I think I want to be goalie. And he said, what do you want to be a goalie for? You're not going to learn the game. You're going to be stuck in the net. And the, the puck's going to be down at the other end of the ice for the next 20 minutes. He goes, get out of the net, play. You know, that's, that's, that's not the position for you. Um, but I love playing goalie and I love, uh, I love playing hockey until probably about 12 or 13. Um, here in Pittsburgh, there was the Mario Lemieux effect hadn't kicked in yet. So you had yeah. one ring for about 10 neighborhoods and, uh, the ice time, you know, we're getting up at six in the morning on the ice at seven, done at seven forty-five. My, my poor mother, you know, driving me and being a hockey mom, very, very tough for her. So, uh, I kind of got tired of it, uh, right around 12 or 13. And I had a lot of other passions in sports. Uh, loved golf, loved soccer, uh, loved skiing, tennis, basketball, um, wrestling. I, I played almost every sport. So it was easy for me to not necessarily be a deep diver into the, into the hockey space, but got back into it when I was older. Many nights you had a front row to the NHL with your dad. And a lot of kids don't have that. You know, there's very few people who ever have that experience. Um, what were some of the things you were amazed at about the professional game of hockey? that you, you observed as a young kid when you were just like, wow, you know, no one knows this is what happens or no one understands this. Yeah. Um, so my front row seat was, you know, my dad coming home uh, after the games, pouring himself a scotch and sort of decompressing and sort of venting, sharing, 
um, talking about great things, talking about things that bothered him and really getting the insights. One of the biggest things that left off the page for me was what the press reports on and what actually happened is usually almost never the same. Um, that was very, very interesting to me to learn that the crossover there is probably less than 20%. The true story, the real, the real information versus what the, the public gets, gets shared. Um, and then the, uh, the dedication, um, watching you know, these guys stay after practice, the hours that my father would have to put in, really being around that and seeing that, sort of picking through uh, the, the work ethic, picking that up through osmosis uh, was really a big thing. Um, but I knew it was a special uh, way to grow up, being around those kinds of winners, seeing my dad, the highest highs, the lowest lows, and really taking it in stride. He, um, he impresses me uh, on that front. Um, you know, the, the stakes are so high and so public uh, in that kind of position. And to see my dad kind of make sure he was that even keeled kind of guy throughout the process, um, very interesting. And, and I'll, I'll tell you one, one anecdote that he shared with me. He said, okay, I'm going to go into the, the locker room tomorrow. I'm going to throw some stuff. I'm like, okay. It was like a pre-planned, premeditated loses SHIT. And uh, he's like, you can only do that like maybe once a year. Otherwise it loses its effect. But he had to sort of get the locker room shifted from whatever it was doing to what he needed it to do. And I just thought that was very interesting that he was going to go in there and basically lose it uh, on demand, pre-planned, premeditated to, for effect um, because he felt he had to. Um, so that was, that was a very interesting thing to uh, – to see happen. And I was like, how'd it go? And he's like, it worked. Yeah, it worked. I was like, okay. Do <laughs> you ever think about getting into the management in hockey like your father? Do you ever think of following in his footsteps or you just were like, eh, you know what? It's, it's whatever. Yeah. The short answer is no. Uh, the long answer is uh, I did not have that skill set. I don't have that temperament. Um, there is a real level of genius uh, to do what those people do. If you're going to coach at the highest level, you cannot be a fraud. If you are, you get exposed immediately. Um, so I knew that that was not something I wanted to do because I wasn't equipped for it. And B, you know, following in my father's footsteps, uh, I would always be EJ's kid. So a lot of great things about growing up the way I did. But the one negative, probably the only one negative, would you'd always be EJ's kid. And the world was a big place. You know, I wanted to go to Boston and New York and Los Angeles and work in really interesting industries and kind of get... Um, you know, I like to say accumulate gray matter capital, get as much as I can put into this thing uh, and then apply it in my 30s and 40s to, to career paths that I would really enjoy. So uh, it's a long winded way of saying I didn't have the chops, didn't necessarily want to ride my dad's coattails. And the world was bigger than Pittsburgh for me. I, I thought, you know, places like New York, Los Angeles, Boston, traveling the world and some of my other roles um, really was uh, very, very helpful for me. And uh, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. So you've kind of charted your own course in, in the entertainment world and everything. What were you able to take from watching in the sports world to transition over to the entertainment world? What were you able to take away from all the stuff you observed over time that you said, this will work or this won't work? Or, you know, there's a lot of management skills, you know, we've mm -hmm. discussed here, but there's also a lot of other things you can take away to make things happen successfully in the business world from sports, what were you able to take away in your career? Yeah, there, there's a ton. Almost everything I apply in business, I, I take from sports. Uh, I can tell you when I went to an interview at IMG to get a job in fashion, uh, the guy brought me in, had me look at the events, uh, fashion weeks uh, around the world, Paris, New York, Milan, these kinds of things. They take place in these kind of arenas. And the guy brings me in after me seeing it. I hadn't had the job yet. He says, okay, EJ, what do you think? 
I said, okay, the runway is the ice. The coaches are the models or the coaches are the designers. The models are the players. The fans are called fashionistas. The arena is the, the tent here in Bryant Park. And um, uh, the fans, you know, and the media, they're all the same. So I can do this. And he was like, okay, you got the job. And the ability to sort of make that kind of translation from sports to fashion uh, was easy for me. And I was able to take marketing tactics and business development tactics and sales tactics and apply them to fashion, just like a sport. Um, it really felt like a performance. Fans showed up. Um, and the same thing kind of worked in television. Sports translates so nicely um, into business and into other areas of life. I think it's one of the reasons I'm a John Wooden guy. It's one of the reasons why John Wooden's books are so successful. Um, you know, I like the Harvey McKay books. I like the Tony Robbins books. But the John Wooden stuff really translates very nicely. The principles that you take from team management and winning and preparedness and industriousness, all those things really translate very, very well. But that anecdote uh, about that job interview, I, I thought it was a perfect thing. It, it was clear to me that that the fashion space was the same as, as, as hockey or any other performance. You could make it for basketball or football or whatever else. Uh, and it, it really helped me get the job. And, and I use those kinds of principles, almost everything I do in every uh, facet of my business. So yeah, it, it translates nicely. We're talking with EJ Johnson of Three Ice here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Stay tuned for segment two. 